Welcome to another episode of a Quick Timeout podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. I'm Coach Tony Miller, and with us today is Coach Chris Caputo, Associate Head Coach for the Miami Hurricanes. Coach, thanks so much for making this happen. Thanks, Tony, for being so persistent. <laughs> <laughs> with Coach, wanted to deep dive into defense today. Uh, we've talked kind of around defensive topics and, and some other uh, systems. I don't necessarily want to talk system today. I, I want to talk more of the fundamentals and more of the, the things maybe of how the game is going today. Let me just start kind of broadly here and talk for your program there. I always like to hear how coaches describe what they do defensively versus what coaches who are watching teams describe a team is doing. So from the coach who actually coaches their team, if no one had, if somebody had not watched you all play there at Miami, what are you all doing and what are you trying to accomplish? Well, it's funny. I mean, I think it changes, Tony, you know, as, as time goes by, you know, when I, when I first, you know, I've, I've had a, a little bit of an atypical career because I've been with coach for 20 years. So it's, it's been, um, you know, one coach, one, one system, two schools, you know, and um, you know, if I could give you a little bit of history, like, you know, when coach was at Virginia as an assistant coach to, to Terry Holland and they had gone to two final fours and have Ralph Sampson and Rick Carlisle, Olden Polonese, uh, you know, a number of great players, you know, they were in a lot of ways, coach says, you know, similar to Coach Bennett's teams of Virginia. You know, they were very physical, man-to-man 100% of the time, in the lane, sort of probably packing before it was uh, called the pack uh, defensive team. And um, towards the end of their time there, of Coach's time there, uh, before he left to take Bowling Green, they had signed old uh, uh, Othell Wilson and Ricky Stokes, uh, you know, two very – good players, uh, but small, you know, small guards that were extremely fast. You know, Othell wound up playing the NBA. And I think uh, Ricky Stokes was like the, uh, you know, under six foot player of the year in college basketball, you know, one of those years. So they changed a little bit with that group to scrambling and, and, you know, sort of trapping and flying around a little bit more. And when coach got to Bowling Green, the Mac at that time was not only an incredibly competitive league filled with NBA players, but if you think about the eighties and, and, and then into the early nineties uh, Midwest basketball was like Bob Knight, right? It's like all the guys that coached in the league were motion guys and, and, and Bob Knight sort of disciple either they had worked for Bob Knight or they'd grown up looking up to coach Knight. And so I think coach Lyonega felt like to be a little bit different, he wanted to be more of a scramble team. And they really like, it was on the line, up the line and, denying passes and and his last team at Bowling Green that won the regular season in the MAC. I mean, I, I think they basically pressed and scrambled on every made basket uh, for, for the season. It was successful. They had tremendous speed at every position. It allowed them to do that. And, and again, if you think about teams that are running motion and our wing entries and, you know, the rhythm of, of, of motion offense, you know, trying to break up that rhythm by pressuring and trapping, you know, what was the goal that continued at coaches early time at George Mason uh, and, and with a lot of success, uh, had a lot of uh, speed. I came in in year five uh, and we were still doing that. I remember when I first got into coaching, it was all about deny, 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 you know, get in the passing lane, you know, we get to 2005, six uh, and uh, we made a change to be more packing, to be more in the lane. And, and it probably had a little bit more to do with personnel. 
than anything at that time. Uh, but that team finished like in the top 20 or so defensively and also went to the final four. That started us on a path of, of really playing that way for uh, the next 15 years or so. And it, it also sort of coincided with the rise in the amount of pick and roll that's run. And, and so when you think about being out in the passing lanes, there are teams that are still very good at that. Florida State comes to mind as a team in our league that, you know, it, 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 you know, at times will really deny and make it difficult Carolina. But I think if you look at their team's positional size and speed compared to the opponent, it's so high. And so they're able to sort of create that situation. Whereas most teams in the era of, you know, multiple pick and rolls, different angles, you know, feeling like they've got to protect. And so, you know, we, we kind of became a team that played more in the lane, you know, in gaps, um, you know, to try to protect the paint, you know, getting back and setting our defense as best we can, uh, trying to limit opponents in, in the open court, trying to be disruptive, but being disruptive while you're, you know, we talk a lot about like gap steals, you know, where you're in the gap and somebody's, you know, driving it in there and you can get a deflection or a steal there, or even a, a term that, uh, you know, I think it's an NBA term. Um, I know that like the the Heat kind of gave me this one, like the early launch, like where hey, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in that gap, and you know, you're stunting or you're in there, and, and and a guy's driving, and he may have beaten his man, but because you're there and you're faking them, maybe getting back out to the three point line, and that guy early launches to try to shoot a layup, and so it becomes more of a broad jump than a high jump, and uh, the degree of difficulty of the shot goes up. Um, I think the, with the with the advent of of all the threes that are being shot, particularly now from the the four for sure, but now the five, you know, in our league, I think the di- biggest difficulties for us have been when the five man shoots it. You're constantly in this battle of like, I know they're gonna score and transition if they have good you know numbers. So how do you how do you limit that? Well, some of that starts on offense you know, taking care of the ball, you know, not winding up on the floor, trying to shoot a one footed shot. And, you know, cause that, that's like almost always a layup, you know, the other way, you know, making sure that we're sprinting and communicating to get back and set our defense. A um, lot of theories on that, but, but then, you know, Hey, like as much as the three is being shot, we still know that it's about the paint. And I think the bucks have sort of proven that, right in the last couple of years where they've been the best defensive team in the NBA and yet they've given up the most threes. So for us, it's still kind of been about trying to be about the paint. There was a time, I think, when you have a little bit more speed, quickness, length, where you maybe would shift and say, well, you know, if we could take away the three and limit their assists and force them inside of three, but outside the paint. But again, I think a lot of that has to do with your positional size and speed if you're going to give something up, you probably, you know, I, I think of it as like, hey, if, I, if I'm going on the road and I know we have to make a lot of jump shots tonight to win because we're not going to get it in the paint, mm-hmm. that's not as good of a feeling as, hey, we can get a lot of shots at the paint tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but that being said, I mean, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. And, you know, so much of it, I think, comes down to how well you guard the ball. I think often, you know, this is a long-winded answer, but yeah, I think often when you look at breakdowns defensively, so much of it is we didn't guard the ball well enough and we forced 
all sorts of unnecessary help, then you know what? We could have any scheme we wanted, but if we're not controlling the ball to some degree, you know, we got a problem. What do you find is the hardest thing to guard or for defenses to be effective at? So you just mentioned like the ball screen stuff. Thinking from an offensive perspective, what's that trying to create? Well, we're trying to create either a disadvantage through a switch or some sort of advantage space-wise that somebody can go and drive, which leads us to what a lot of offenses are doing now where they're creating more more gaps, which like you said, for a team, if we're still playing in the 80s now and you're out denying a pass, you're basically just leaving your your man on an island until help arrives. But now we're training our players to recognize that second help and throw. I guess my point is, is that w- what you just mentioned at the end, like there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, but I feel like it's more sexy for us to focus on offense today than it is for us to focus on defense necessarily. Do you feel like we're like behind defensively with like, are we trying to catch up to these to these offenses? Yeah. Look, I, I've never been a head coach other than two games. I've coached two games as a head coach. <laughs> but my friends who are head coaches are always say, like, hey, the, as a head coach, your feeling is like you go into the game thinking, are we ever going to score? <laughs> you know, like, how are we going to score? What you're beginning to see offensively is offenses, yeah. The offense is always, I think, going to be ahead. You know, I think people are, are much more intricate right now you're starting to see it at the college level i think you're seeing more shooting on the floor which is the number one thing right that creates the spacing and and creates the advantages often is when there's more shooting on the floor in college at this level you know as i've said you know 10 years ago people talked about well you know you got to have a stretch four man and by the way you you could have two front court players that don't shoot and still be a really good offense uh, based on your creativity and, and spacing and, and, and principles and the way you play. But what becomes more challenging is is not now, like the four-man shooting is almost a, a given most nights, and then the five-man shooting, the three, mm-hmm. presents you know a lot of problems, right? So offenses are trying to play advantage basketball. They're trying to trigger two on the ball. They're trying to create double-gap situations and defenses are are having to adjust. I think, you know, obviously in college with our rules, you know, we can load up the lane a good bit, you know, more than like at the NBA level, but the more shooting that's on the floor, the more difficult that becomes. I mentioned before switching, I've heard you talk about this before. Uh, We're in a day and age, especially as you watch the NBA playoffs, where switching is, it's almost a given, like, and even if it's, if it's close to a scenario that we might switch, people are switching. Yeah, and yeah. there is this sense I, I feel that the lower levels, well, you just switch everything. Appropriate switching scenarios where switching is, yeah, we need to switch here versus just we're just switching everything. So you're kind of in my vicinity and I and I switch. Is that a good thing? It's a that- fi- I mean, I, I think it's a fine line. I, I Look, I heard um, Jeff Van Gundy say this the other day on People talk about small ball, like small small ball doesn't win, versatility ball wins, right? You know, so just thinking, well, hey, we'll play small ball, and that'll be great. And like, well, being small is not great in basketball. I mean, I, I just, I don't, you know, being versatile is 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 great. You know, you know, I think for for us or for any team, like, I don't, I think it's the more skillful, the more lethal an offense is the more you have to have solutions and ways to play against it, right? 
And I think in particular, as the season goes on, like, hey, does it make sense to switch? Yes, 100%. Does it make sense to practice switching? Yes, 100%. Is it always the answer? Probably not, you know? If we talk about guarding, well, once we switch, we still have to guard the ball. So how much are we practicing just guarding the ball hard? Uh, How much are we practicing help in rotations? How much are we practicing switching? You know, one of the things about having a smaller, we had a a real small player last couple of years. You know, there's that adage in the basketball world of, of coaching world, like, hey, well, the switch doesn't beat you. You know, you don't get posted on the switch. You know, the, you know, it's 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 often the guard that now has a big guy on him and gets driven, or or the miscommunicated switch, or what have you. I would tell you when you have a real small player, uh, the post up does get you sometimes, or the offensive rebound gets you sometimes. So we started having to practice double and triple switching and scramming out of the post. And while it's all great, and when we watch the highlight of somebody doing it. It's great, you know, on Twitter. I'm, I'm, I'm victim and guilty of this, you know. But again, how much practice? Like, are you dedicating a certain amount of time and effort to doing this every single day? I remember watching um, the Celtics do some of that preseason before training camp, three on three work, and and they're practicing scramming, you know, because they, you know, they know they're going to be a team that switches. And I, and I, I think that's where you have to. You know, just switching for the sake of switching uh, is not the answer. Having a, a plan as to how we're going to switch. I mean, you know, in a perfect world with all the threes now, I would switch. I'd peel switch everything, you know, like to try to take away the threes or what have you. Or, but again, I, I think that, the, you know, there are certain teams that we, you know, we put Virginia, you know, there's nothing – you, you couldn't overstate how good they are defensively and, and what Coach Bennett has done there. But they're really, really good at what they do, and they don't deviate too much from it in terms of how they defend things. But I would say that, that they're the exception, not the rule. You know, I think there's a lot of us that have to find ways to, to have versatility defensively and have a little bit of a change-up game defensively, whether it be switching or, you know, you think about Villanova and they're playing their – you know, one, two, two, back man, you know, just something a little bit different. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to learn more. You mentioned helping. And as I sat and watched my team play this year, a couple times I, I turned to, my, to, to our head coach and said something to the effect of overhelping is killing us. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think it's from a good place that players are trying to help their teammate out because they, they think that they're in help. I mean, they, they, they need to give assistance of some sort. How do I teach my players to recognize when help actually needs to occur and when it doesn't need to occur? 
It's a great question. I, I think that's, you know, look, decision-making uh, defensively is so important, you know, overhelping. You, you certainly would want to overhelp before you underhelped uh, often. Uh, but again, the, the, the higher level you go, the better teams you're playing against, you know, the, the, the level of, of help needs to be at a high level, but also smart, you know. And I think that's where some of the, the teaching of like, hey, we build the habit, but then we've got to put them in situations to understand how to read, right? You know, we talk a lot of times about reading guys' shoulders on their drives. You know, if a guy is shoulders are not towards the rim, look, he, he's just getting in there to throw it out. You've got to be able to read that. Uh, you've got to be able to know personnel in order to determine those things. How we create pattern recognition in practice where we're putting them in scenarios that are not static, that are not, you know, that, that are messy, you know, where they're going to have to make that decision over and over again in practice. You know, we, we've tried to implement some things to hopefully help guys make those choices, you know, different advantage, disadvantage, sort of small sided games where they're in a scenario that they've got to read that and, and understand it. And, you know, that, that, that chunking of information of like, Hey, I'm in the gap, but like the guy I'm guarding is a non-shooter. So I can, I can stay and rake at the ball or, Hey, I've got to really, you know, start to start to get out here and not allow the catch and shoot. And how about peel switching? You know, when uh, you're veering, veer switching, when I kind of know I can't get back to my guy and, and, and how are we doing that in a level with a level of communication, but also just, you know, the, the cohesiveness that comes with, I think, that playing defense together. <laughs> as simple as that is, the game is played five on five. And, and so how often are you playing where, where guys are just, they're on that string together because they're practicing together often. When a player enters, I would assume that the things that you just <laughs> talked about, most players, when they arrive there on campus, they're deficient in at least some of those things. Or they're not at the level that they need to be within that those defensive skills to fit in that defensive system. What are you finding that players are most deficient at? Do you have suggestions for coaches as they work? Is it just simply the decision-making? And the reason I'm asking this is we talk a lot on offense because the offense gets so much attention about the decision-making. And, you know, when do I pass, dribble, shoot? When do I find the open? I don't hear that talked about as much on the defensive side. And so whether yeah. it's that skill or another skill, what can prepare these players? You mentioned guarding the ball. I mean, it could be as simple as just they can't guard the ball very well. Like, what are the things that we need to focus more on? I think you're going to lose their attention if you start trying to do defensive uh, stations in the summer. You know, I, 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 mean, I would consider myself a guy who values defense at the high level, but I'm that crazy, right? You know, I, I think the first thing when a guy – typically gets here and, and often, you know, we get guys that are well coached in high school. Often high school players, sometimes they guard the best high school player sometimes doesn't guard the best offensive player because of fouling, you know, referees call fouls in high school all the time. And I've, I've had a lot of high school coaches say, Hey, I, I don't put them on the best player because they're just going to call fouls. I need them in the game. Hmm. So I think that the pride that comes with keeping the ball in front of you, the understanding that at the college level, uh, shot making is at a higher level. And so you, you've got to contest shots at a high level. Uh, you've got to give multiple efforts. I think that is usually what is, uh, I want to say lacking, but like, you know, just the urgency to understand that you're going to play against a player 
as good as you are or better. And, you know, like we always say, we're playing against Jason Tatum. Like he's going to score even when you try really hard and you contest. Mm -hmm. But if you don't try very hard and you don't contest, like then it's, it's, we have no shot, you know? So, you know, throughout my years, we've played against so many great players in this league. And if you're going to give no effort on Donovan Mitchell, or you're going to give no effort on, I was thinking of guys, you know, Malik Beasley or somebody like that, like, you know, you've got no shot. And so getting them to understand that against a great player, a level of effort and multiple efforts and, and discipline intensity has to be so high to give yourself a chance to, to you know, play good defense and, and make them miss, you know, uh, 60% of the time or whatever, you know, you know, that that's what needs to get ramped up. And a lot of times with our young players, we wouldn't do it in the summer necessarily because as I said, we're not that crazy, but like when we get to the fall, in addition to what, what we might do with the team, yeah, we'll bring the young players over to the side and, and try to slow it down and talk about defensive concepts and, 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 and do a little bit of defense one-on-one with them, you know, to try to help them understand some things at a slower pace. You know, I, I think from, you know, this is something I've learned uh, just recently reading Doug Lemoff's book, I'm sure. A lot of the listeners have uh, have learned it, uh, have read it. If they haven't, I think it's terrific. I think, you know, it's uh, teaching for coaches by Lemma, who uh, you know is is an expert in the in the teaching. And one thing that really stood out to me is uh, working memory versus long term memory. Right. So the, the long term memory is the information you have, and so we can ask guys to do. You know, like sometimes we say. Hey, we, we don't want to overload them with information, right? If they're thinking their feet are slow, mm-hmm. that's that. What you're really saying is you don't want to overload their working memory as they're in the moment, right? The problem is if we don't build a long-term memory, which is really the information that they need, you know, Hey, who am I guarding? Hey, where should I be here? Hey, how do I handle this situation? If, if, if they don't have that there, they can't make a good decision with their working memory, right? So it's, it's information-based. So how do we provide this information in a way that we're building their long-term memory, but then while also allowing them to do their thing in the moment? And I think that's that's essentially what coaching is, right? Like we can't stop, especially in our game, because the game goes so fast. How do we build up their long-term memory, fill them with this information? but then stay away from them when they're actually doing it mm-hmm. uh, is, is hard. You know, that's, that, that's, and I think that's on offense and defense. Let me ask you in relation to advanced stats and the data that we have now available within recent years, yeah. how have those things changed what you do on a very ground level defensively? Well, it's interesting. I mean, like I said, I, I, I used to you know, use those numbers and say like, Hey, if we can take away the three, if we can take away the assist, if we sh- make force them to shoot long twos, I think that's what we all want. And yet, I think, again, the numbers would also say the teams that were the best. I saw this the other day. Um, like the teams that had the most success were the teams that, that shot the highest percentage in the paint, mm-hmm. right? And so at the end, you got to say to yourself, as, as important as the three is, and we do, we have to know who the best three-point shooters are, and we certainly got to limit them, but it still comes down to the paint. It still mm-hmm. comes down to the paint because, again, the best threes are going to be outside of transition, 
which we know we have to get back and set our defense, like the best threes often come paint and out, Mm -hmm. right? Paint to great, post up and out, paint, kick, next one, shot. So I still think the numbers are going to tell us that as much as we want to take away threes and lay out, you know, free throws obviously is a big one. We've been, we haven't been as good defensively the last couple of years, mostly because of personnel and uh, some injury issues. But we we try not to foul because obviously that's that's one of the best ways to get over one point per possession. You know, and mm-hmm. teaching your guys not to foul. And yet, again, I think the numbers will still tell us it's about the paint. You're not going to mm-hmm. foul when if the ball's not in the paint. You're not going to give up as many shots at the rim. If you have a great, I think you can tailor your. If you have a great shot blocker. Yeah, you can be a little bit more aggressive and and you can try to run guys off the line a little bit more and because you know you got that backup at the rim. But if you don't have great shot blocking, I'm not so sure how – I don't know how important it would be to then get guys off the line so that the ball could get going downhill. You know, and I think that's those – those are the decisions you have to make. And, again, some of it's just like your offense is personnel-based. I think your defense has to be personnel-based. Last thing here, I get this asked a lot, goals that matter for your team. So at the end of a game, so particularly yeah. for your game. So maybe not – it could be what you want for your defense, but it also could be something in relationship to an opponent's shooting percentage. But, you know, I, I, these are the kinds of things where I'm asking you in particular rather yeah. than just – you can track five billion things, and I've heard coaches all over the place. But it, maybe if yeah. you felt like there is something to what you all do there that matters that you yeah. like to track. I mean, we track a lot of stuff like everybody else does, you know. I I still think the number one thing for me, you know, points per possession is still a huge thing, you know, trying to keep them under Mm 0.95 or what, you know. It used to be under one, but I think it's more realistic, like 0.95, you know, Mm -hmm. or below. Uh, I still think that the raw shooting percentage number is still usually, I think, somebody did a study on the teams that make the NCAA tournament. It's the one stat that comes across is like, do you make people miss a lot? And then, you know, the rebounding number percentage, you know, I, that I'm a stickler for that outside of raw rebounds. I can't, I don't understand what raw rebounds mean. You know, I just only know percentage uh, of, of the misses. And then, you know, everybody talks about the three stops in a row. I think that's, you know, I think if you can get seven of those in a game, in a college game, you're giving yourself every opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, those are things. But we, we track all the four factors and everything. And I still think, like, ultimately, can we, we're making them miss. I, I think that's the first step into having a good defense. And it sounds simple, mm-hmm. but it's true. Like, hey, am I, are we making – because if we're making them miss, we're they're likely taking – high degree of difficulty shots, low expected value shots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really essence, the heart of what you talked about was, was being kind of a, was being a good teacher of the game, knowing what yeah. matters, knowing what your students can handle, knowing what it should look like in the goal and evaluating that at the end, even with the goals. So just a brief statement to be an effective defensive coach, you need to be what? I would say unyielding. You know, in your, I think guys want to play offense. <laughs> I think they'll work on their offense. I think it's, you've got to be unyielding and in, in showing them how important it is. It's rare. Like we had Bruce Brown here. You know, you didn't have to talk to Bruce much about how important defense and rebounding was. He did it. 
you know, it's, it's why he's in the NBA, you know, a lot of team that could win the title in the rotation as a second round pick, because it was just, we had a guy, Will Thomas, that played for George Mason, who's still playing in the EuroLeague now and was a great, like, you didn't have to call that guy over and say, Hey, this, let me tell you why this is important. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but if it, but most guys, that's not where their mind is. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to be unyielding in your, your efforts to show them how important it is individually and then collectively. That's Coach Chris Caputo of the Miami Hurricanes. Coach, thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it.